We are going to be in John chapter 8 today where we come across a very well-known statement about the truth and how the truth will set you free. Uh, We're going to lean into this passage which records some very challenging remarks of Jesus to the audience present. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. It's in John chapter 8. I'll begin reading at verse 30 through verse 33. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, in these short words, you teach us so much. We pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would open your word, that we would live in your word, that we would be transformed by what we hear and what we see now. In Jesus' name, amen. As Bill prayed, he prayed for the Florida trip. Some of you are familiar with the Florida trip because you've had children go on that trip and others of you have just been in the church a long time and know about it. I want to bring everybody up to speed what happens on that trip. Over 300 people, 270 students, and about 45 or so leaders have gone for the purpose of one thing, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Many kids are going not because they're interested at this point in being a disciple. They're lost. And our hope and prayer is that through the preaching of God's word this week, And through the powerful reality of Jesus in the lives of leaders and other students, they will see something of Jesus. and They will want that Jesus. They will trust him for their salvation. Yesterday morning, I woke up at 5.15 to get my two two of my children ready who were going. Got here about 6.15. I said, get your bags on the bus. It's about to rain. You don't want wet clothes all week. It was a great idea. 6.30, the skies opened up. Rain went left and right. It was a mess. There's not one dry pair of clothes that made it to Florida. I promise you that. One of the bus drivers was just standing there, dripping to the bone. I said, how long do you have to drive? He said, at least eight hours, soaking wet. Can you imagine the smell of those buses when they arrived in Florida? Can you imagine the smell of the clothes as they come home to you in about six days? Be ready. I'm just going to open a trash bag and say, let it go recycling, whatever you want to call it. As the kids were getting on the buses, there's always one that's late. I won't say their name or their initial initials. But the buses were held up by another reason. Two people, one leader and one child, had lost their cell phones. They had them with them somewhere, but now they're nowhere to be found. But technology's amazing. People began to send out signals. Where is the phone? And all of a sudden, things start binging. The phone is on the bus. Where on the bus? One underneath the bus, in the midst of that wet luggage, another in a seat. But the phones were found. Why? Because something, according to those kids and leader, of great value was lost. It required an all-out search, and it was found. And when those, that child and that leader saw that phone, they celebrated. I mean, in a way, they feel like it's a lifeline. It's not really. Hopefully, they'll learn that this week. But to them, it kind of is. What are they going to do on a bus for 15 hours without a phone? Here's our prayer. 
270 kids, half who do not go to this church. 45 leaders. It's all about making disciples. Something of great value is lost. It required an all-out search. And Jesus Christ was sent. He was sent to live a life we could never live, to die a death that we all deserve to die. He rose and he reigns and he's returning. And what we want desperately is for every one of those children to know by the end of the week whether or not they are true disciples of Jesus Christ. Just like every Sunday, I want every man and woman and child of age to leave here knowing whether or not you are a true disciple of Jesus or not. And this is why it's so important. In Dallas, a big part of the Bible Belt, Many, many people say they believe Jesus. They believe things about Jesus. Yet for many, their lives look very disconnected from the things of Jesus, making people wonder, are you truly a believer? And that's why every leader that goes on this trip knows that by the end of the week, they're to engage each student and ask them, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a true disciple of Jesus? Have you believed in him for your salvation. Not just believe things about him, but have you believed in him? And they're going to be confronted in love with that truth by their counselors and by the speakers. And I want you to pray every day. If you'd like to pray for a student specifically, there's a table out there with some names still left. Grab one or two or three and pray. That the Lord would grab hold of his kids. The passage which we've read speaks to what I'm speaking. I'm not sure if you noticed or not. I want you to open your Bible. If you don't have your own, grab a blue one in front of you and turn to John 8. Because I'm going to go to a few parts here. But if you go back to verse 30 and then you move into verse 31, there's a very interesting language thing that happens. First of all, as Jesus has just been telling people he is the light of the world, these great I am statements, verse 30 tells us, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. That's important. Because look at the next verse. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, do you see the difference? Commentators argue about whether this is significant or not, but given the context of what's to come, it is clear that there are people who believe things about Jesus. There are people who believe that he existed. There are people that even believe that he is God. But there's a difference between believing things about Jesus, that he was a good teacher, even believing that he was perfect. There is a difference between believing about God, believing things about him, and believing in him. Verse 30 says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
through his holy word and the work of the Holy Spirit, gives Christians, true Christians, true disciples, the assurance of salvation. We can know whether or not we are saved. We can know whether or not we are going to heaven. You can come in each Sunday knowing that you are a believer in Jesus and leave knowing you're a believer in Jesus, and that will never change. Other religions, they don't live that way. Their salvation is based on how they worshiped, how they gave, what they did, what they didn't do. And they can lose their salvation, but not Christianity. But in a place like Dallas, in the Bible Belt, many people may think that they are believers, but in reality, they're not. They have believed him, but they haven't believed in him. And when you believe in him, there are things about your life that are just true. If you simply believe about him, those things are not going to be true. On the exterior, they might look true, but in the interior of who you really are, there's a difference. And that difference is what I want to speak about, preach about today. Because as Jesus is speaking to this crowd, many believed in him. But then there's this other group where it says they believed him, where suddenly you see very clearly in the reading that they're not really believing fully in Jesus because they get into a conflict with Christ that's quite severe and brings some very harsh, true statements about who they really are. And so as I unpack this today, I'm going to talk about two things. I'm going to talk about the true identity of a disciple and the true residence of a disciple, of a true disciple. Distinguishing that which is not true and that which is. So let's talk about identity. A true disciple of Jesus Christ understands who they are. They know their identity. They know that they belong to Jesus Christ. They were saved by Jesus alone for his glory. A true disciple knows their identity. Their identity has a past, it has a present, and it has a future. And true disciples of Jesus know that identity. They know its past, they know its presence, they know its future. This is important. Because Jesus says in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. There's an identity to it. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, when Jesus said these things, the Jews that believed him took issue. Listen to what they say in verse 33. They answered Jesus, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, I'm not sure you can understand what's happening there without seeing the rest of this text going forward. I'm going to allude to it a bit. But here's what's happening. When people are told that they've been set free, there is then an unspoken reality that you're saying, I was enslaved to something. Before a person can become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, they have to see to what and whom they were enslaved. Those Jews here who took great offense at what Jesus said responded, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. They didn't understand their past. They really weren't clearly seeing their present or their future. So they take issue. And when you can't see clearly, you make statements that are very incorrect. 
So as they look back at their ancestry and at their history, there's confusion. The first thing that these Jews say is this, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They're offended. But in their offense, they show that they believe a lie. How could these people say they've never been enslaved to anyone? What about the nation of Egypt? What about those decades of captivity as slaves? How can you say that you've never been enslaved to anyone? They don't want to admit it. Secondly, they then begin to speak about their identity, and they turn to Abraham. We are offspring of Abraham, and indeed they were. Jesus says that so much in verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. So Jesus acknowledges that. But then he says, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I know it's very popular right now with the access we have on the internet to do studies of ancestry, to find out where you've come from. There's shows that even show people discovering that. And often those shows reveal a moment where they're horrified by something in their past. Jesus is about to bring a horrifying message to these people. He essentially is going on to say that fa your father wasn't Abraham. Look with me at verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So Jesus is blasting right through their ancestral connection to Abraham. Well, they go even beyond Abraham. Jesus says, you were doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So now they're connecting to the father who is God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. That's very important. I'll come back to that in a moment. Listen for the whole idea of the word. Then Jesus says, and this is extremely offensive, but it's true. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. It's offensive. And they took offense. They took offense because they could not believe the truth. They could not hear the words of God. Jesus said so in verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. These people, they, they knew themselves as being God's people. But they could not hear who they really were. They could not see that they were slaves of sin, slaves of Satan. And it's easy to be hard on this specific group of people, but the truth is, most people struggle with really believing what the Bible says about their identity past. 
And until people really believe what the Bible says about who we were in the past, the gospel that Jesus gives us isn't really that good. We don't like to be told that we are enslaved to someone or something. We don't like to be told that we need to be set free. But the truth is, the word of God describes all of us as being children of Satan, identity past. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it says, we all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, it says that we are all God-haters. And we don't like to hear that. But that's the bad news that can bring beauty to the good news. We don't like to hear it about ourselves. We don't like to hear it about our children. And yet the truth is, a true disciple of Jesus understands their past. David, the great king, in the psalm that we used as an assurance of salvation, said this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. I want to show you something very quickly. In that one verse, the first verse of Psalm 51, David gives us three words for sin. The first word is transgression. And the word transgression means to trespass. Here's what it looks like. When God created everyone, all the creation, and then Adam and Eve is the first man and the first woman, he, he drew a boundary. And he told Adam and Eve, you can eat from any of the trees. This is yours. This is for you, for your enjoyment. But there's one tree that I command you not to eat from. That's where the boundary was drawn. Anytime we step over the boundary, we have transgressed. We have trespassed. And that's what that word means. It's what Adam and Eve did. When Eve took that fruit and she gave some to Adam and they both ate, they transgressed. They trespassed. The second word David uses is the word iniquity. Iniquity is the word that we have for original sin. What that means is that every person born is born in sin. We are born sinners. It's this disease that we all have. There's no little baby that's born innocent. And you know very soon that they sin. We all are like that, all creation. Then David gives us the third word, which is sin itself. And the word sin means missing the mark. It's an archer's term. There is a, a bullseye. That's what the archer's aiming to hit. And sin is anything that misses the mark. And in the flesh, everything misses the mark. We have all fallen short of the mark. This is who we are in our past. The danger of growing up in a city like this and in a church like this is that many children on that Florida trip don't really think they're that bad. They don't really think they're that sick. But the truth is they're not sick. They're dead. Without Jesus, without the work of God's spirit in their heart, they have a heart that cannot beat for God. Paul described it this way, and he's speaking of all of us. You were dead 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is our identity past. A true disciple understands this about themselves. In which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If you're a true disciple, you understand that about yourself. But parents raising covenant children, you understand that about your children too. This is our identity past, apart from Christ, before we are in Christ as Christians. This is who we were. That means that we were slaves to Satan. He was our father. But then in Ephesians 2, you have this great conjunction that brings grace. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So on the Florida trip, high school students are going to hear this message. They're going to understand if they're already in Christ, that this was their past. If they're not yet in Christ, this is who they are. And you're going to hear the glorious good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to save us, so that that past is no longer our present identity or our future identity. But true disciples of Jesus know this about themselves. They know their past. They also know their present, and they know their future. So what is the present of a true disciple? Go back with me to John chapter 8. In verse 31, Jesus says, If you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The word abide is one of my favorite words in all of Scripture. I'm still just beginning to understand it, though, to be honest. John 15, Jesus says over and over again, abide in me, abide in me. That's where he also says, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, so proving to be my disciples. In other words, the fruitfulness of our lives is proof that we belong to Jesus, that we have a new identity in Jesus Christ. This is who we were in the past, this is who we are now, this is who we will be in the future. So what does it look like? True disciples have a new identity, and true disciples have a new home, a new residence. But I'm not, I'm not speaking about the eternal heavenly home now. I'm speaking about a home that exists presently. Here's why. The word abide as a noun and as a verb has to do with living space. The word abide comes from abode, means dwelling. So you could actually translate these verses in verse 31. If you live in my word, you are truly my disciples. So the mark of a true disciple is this new identity. But another mark of a true dis disciple is a new residence. It's the residence, this side of heaven, of the living word being in their life. This is so important. Because someone who says, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I've given my life to Jesus. But their life looks nothing like the word of God. 
There's no sense of the word of God living in them. They should not have assurance of salvation. I would never give them that. I would never encourage them with that. I believe in once saved, always saved. But I believe you can think you're saved when you were never saved. Because Jesus gives us the marks of true disciples. True disciples understand their identity past, their identity present, their identity future. And there is this residence of the word of God in their life. Think about your home for a minute. Your home has a foundation. Your home has a frame. Your home has furnishings. And your home has a fragrance. Christians, true disciples, their home is the word of God. The word of God is living in them. The foundation of their life is the word of God. The frame of their life is the word of God. The decor of their life is the word of God. The fragrance of their life is the word of God. It's not perfect this side of heaven, is it? But it will be. And true disciples want it to be. And when they don't want it, they want to want it. It's a sign. It's a mark. Jesus, time and time again in John 8, speaks about how this audience that believed him, they really weren't listening to the word. They weren't receiving the word. Time and time again, Jesus speaks about the lack of the word coming into their life. And that's what happens in the Bible Belt. A lot of the word goes out. Many people nod amen to it. There's a difference between saying, I believe that, and believing in the one who is that. I believe that stuff about Jesus is different than saying, I believe that stuff about Jesus, and I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus alone. His word is living in me. You see, the word of God is not meant just to be informative. The word of God is transformative. Paul said in Romans 12, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, that's what the word of God does. The word of God is not just a seasoning that we put on our life once a week. It is our life. We are in Christ and his word is in us. It is our foundation. It is our frame. It is the furniture, decor, and it's the fragrance. That's why I love the last line in our first hymn. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people could just tell by seeing us that there is something gloriously different, and that glorious difference is Jesus Christ? You see, it happens. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. True disciples, the word lives in us. The word is our home. It's our identity. So here's my question. It's a question that is going to be asked of every high school student, all 270 plus and of every leader. Are you a true disciple? 
today as you leave this place, do you know for certain that you are saved by Jesus Christ? That you don't just believe things about him, but you have believed in him and you believe in him and you are trusting in him alone for your salvation. If you are a true disciple, my friend, praise God that he has opened your eyes to hear his word and that his word is living in you. If you're here today and you know you're not a believer, in Jesus Christ. You've not trusted in him alone for salvation. If you thought you were, but now you're not sure, what a great place to be to hear that you can be sure. Final story. The man speaking on our Florida trip, I'm confident, will tell them about Jesus. For a lot of years before God called me to this position, I had the privilege of speaking at trips like that and leading trips like that. One year, we took a group of about 200 students from St. Louis to Point Loma, California. We took about a long bus ride. I spoke about 800 kids a night. The last night, after the beautiful painting of the picture of Jesus Christ dying and being raised from the dead, we gave students the opportunity to respond to all they had heard that week. And it's a privilege to see God calling his people to himself as they come forward for prayer. But something unique happened, and I've told this before. An 83-year-old woman came down. I didn't actually pray with her, but I wanted to see her afterwards. And she said, I came to visit my grandson. I don't get to see him very often. I knew he was on the trip. Now listen to what you said tonight. And I've just become a Christian. I said, tell me, what, what's happened? She said, I've grown up in the church my whole life. I can barely remember Sundays I didn't go. But I never heard that Jesus is the only way. I never heard that that's why Jesus died on the cross. I never heard that Jesus was going to return. And at 83... She got over herself as she came to herself. And in the midst of kids, some 70 years younger than her flooded to the front. She was not too embarrassed to come forward and say, I want to know that I am saved, that I am a true disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have come here today and you can't even remember many days you haven't been here and you're not sure, you're at a place where you think, I've believed a lot of things about Jesus, but I'm not sure I've believed in him, then come today. Come and see me, one of our pastors and elders, somebody around that you can, somebody around that you can tell Jesus reigns in their life. And pray for salvation. And if you are celebrating that story right now because you are in Christ, then just spend this last five minutes as we sing, praising God for the way he has saved you. Dear Jesus, you said that the truth 
You said the truth, and then you said the truth would set us free. Lord, I pray that we would not believe that we are being set free from something other than the truth, but I pray indeed that we would be set free only in you who is the real truth. God, I pray at this very moment that you would bring to salvation any who belong to you, that even now they would come. Lord, bring them down. Bring them down even as we sing, after the service, during the song, it doesn't matter to me, that they may come to know they have saving faith in you. That everyone who leaves today would know whether or not they can say, I am a true disciple of Jesus. He is my identity, and his word lives in me. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.